Welcome back to part five of a White Gray Black Manga Book Club discussion of Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind by Hayao Miyazaki. My name is Bruce, and I am joined again by my constant co-host, Gautam. Hello, hello. This section was a little intense, and things are finally starting to roll pretty quickly downhill. This part, part five, is called Dai Kaisho, and it certainly is a big wave. Uh, how do we feel about this part? Just first impressions, Gautam. I, I feel like the last four seg or four, uh, three or four segments have have been that exact descriptor in my eyes, where things are just like constantly escalating to unfathomable points. Um, I love it. it. It's it's great. Shit has truly gone to shit in this in this yeah. recent chapter or segment, actually. Yeah, this I know. We talked last time about. Uh things get worse before they get better in a story arc. And this one, I think, goes even further down, and I think we end at the lowest point, and I think it's all it's all sort of uphill from here, though there might still be some, uh, some loss uh, along the way, I would assume, just thinking about story tropes. But yeah, this was pretty... Uh, this was a very intense chapter, I would say. Uh, let's, yeah, let's get I, into... I would agree. Like, I, I, yeah. Before we get into it, it's like uh, the whole Dorok Empire just got wiped. So that's like half, uh, about half of the world's population. That's and all of the world leaders are like, oh yeah, world's ending. Let's keep fighting each other, uh, which is effectively what happened this chapter. Uh, I absolutely loved it. it. It is so fucked at the moment. Yeah, it's it's wild. Uh, another thing I guess I want to mention before we get started is the in the hardcover volumes, the two big volumes of English translations that we have, the art at the start of the volumes is incredible. Um, it is, I believe, a sort of a full-size color picture that you can see on the right here of uh, these kind of full-page color spreads that Hayao Miyazaki drew. They, they were really good. Uh, I think there was really like a, a, a little spoiler which confirmed my, my theory earlier with the God Warrior and Nausicaa being chummy. Oh, really? Uh, I, don't even, I didn't even pick up on that. I think I flipped through him because I was kind of like, I didn't want to get spoiled by the art, so... Oh yeah, well there you go. I spoiled it for you. Uh, I know. I mean, it's I not a big deal. I'm not a yeah. not a spoiler guy. I think I know how the story is going. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we so we start off as you mentioned um, in the capital city of the Holy Dorok Empire called Shua. Um, we've got lots of doctors and holy guys trying to save the emperor's brother, Mister Darth Vader himself. There, uh, and we finally meet. I don't know if you can call him the big bad. It. When he's introduced, he kind of feels like the big bad, but I think by the end of this part, he's much, again, for, you know, ad nauseum, a little bit more nuanced than that, because the writing here is good. Uh, we meet the emperor of the of the emperor of Dorok, finally. Uh, he is very much the big bad, it feels like to me. I think so, um, too, yeah. I think the difference is that even as an audience member, he is charismatic and likable. Yes. Even though he's evil. You know, you're right, which I think is uh, is just good character design, good character building in general, because, yeah, he's like he's super smart. He's sort of a young, as we'll learn later, kind of reborn for hundreds of years, I would assume, guy. Uh, but, yeah, he and when we meet him, he is being shown that the Doroks have a god warrior that they are growing um, they have the black box, but they believe they're missing some part of it. Something's going wrong. I kind of assume that this is the little MacGuffin we got in part one, that little, whatever the thing was from, uh, from the Pejite people. Uh, but maybe not. There might be something else there. So, 
Yeah. We, we also get to meet another sort of important new player here. I put uh, meet the heavy because they are these big, <laughs> big bad boys called the Hedra. Uh, we're going to see more of them, but now we just kind of, we see them. They're big monstrous guys. We know that they hang out with the Emperor and I think guard him. Um, after that, there's some body horror stuff. I mean, this whole, uh, the whole story, honestly, is pretty, I don't know if I would call it horror, like coded, but like, there's like scary, intense stuff. And this is a really intense section here where the Emperor's brother, right, they put him in this sort of healing container. Um, he wakes up in this dream and sort of like, oh, I'm in a young body. I'm finally recovered. And his body starts like falling apart in like this very horror way where he gets like cracks and his skin sloughs off and his like cuts and blood. Um, we see that the the brother guy, he mentions, oh, it's the same death his father had where his body just sort of fell apart. I think we're meant to connect this to the sort of rebirth that the emperor has been doing, we learn, and his brother has not been doing, has been trying to sort of preserve his original body or, you know, not be sort of, I don't know if it's like cloning. It doesn't really explain it, but it explains in some way that these Dorok royalty are reborn in some way and get a new body. Um, and that somehow led to their father's death and it is affecting the this the bad guy's dreams and the emperor is sort of reborn he's like a young man he looks like he's like 20 in this story so yeah effectively and it's mentioned a little later in the chapter as well but the uh they have kind of clone vessels with no soul uh, mm -hmm. in them and they transplant their body and their their father died by doing this transplant procedure and it didn't work uh right. and the body fell apart so the brother who preaches that there's an afterlife to all of his followers uh doesn't believe it himself so he's terrified to do this procedure because of what happened to his father so he's just right, in the yeah. bat so the uh the emperor and his bro the bro kind of comes up the sorry the emperor approaches the brother who's again in the sort of healing tank they connect mentally because these are like super powered dudes um and is shown nausicaa so the emperor now sort of knows about nausicaa is given a little bit of context there um one the, small correction there is, oh, is that? that the emperor himself is not doesn't have any powers uh just the brother okay uh yeah. because the emperor was like bitter about how much power his brother had due to his mental mental abilities i thought that um, the emperor still had a little bit of power because he later on i mean we're good doesn't matter if we spoil the chapter. Later on, when he controls the Hedra, I thought it was implied that he has some small, maybe not. I don't think he's nearly as strong as his brother. I think his brother is clearly the like stronger mental oh, power you may be telepath. Right on that. But I think the Emperor does have a little bit of the like mental Got connection it. stuff too. I think I'm not sure. I don't think it directly says any of this, so we could we could be wrong. But yeah, um, but yeah. So the the dying bro is sort of mad. He tries to use the sort of medical tentacles that he controls. Uh, to grab his brother, I put a little a real parenthetical. It's very similar to the Omu, this kind of tentacly grabbing thing that goes on here. Um, part of a, I would say, a consistent design, like we talked about in the early chapters. The design here is really good. Um, right, yeah. Knocks his brother's hat off, and we see kind of what we already talked about. He's he's very young. His brother we've seen is incredibly ugly, looks very old, kind of a withered body. His The Emperor is super young, so... Uh, yeah, we get more talks of how his brother's been translated many times. Uh, Emperor has this cool confidence. Um, he kind of leaves after this confrontation. He orders his his goons to like seal the brother up. He doesn't matter anymore. Time to go. Uh, 
Then we cut over to the Toromekian army. Uh, they are pulling out of their front line. So this is the group, I believe, that was with Kushana or maybe behind Kushana. Uh, but anyways, the, the Valley Boys and Yupa are there. Uh, and they, they're flying, are they, yeah, they're flying and they see one of the Royal Toromekian Corvettes. So, um, we don't know who's on this. It doesn't really show us much more of it yet. Uh, but the, uh, the new girl, I'm trying to remember her name now. Uh, uh, Ketcha. Ketcha, yes. Uh, Ketcha is also with them. Um, she's in these Tormekian sort of refugee camps. Uh, she fights against a bunch of people because they're abusing Dorok slaves and she's a Dorok. She doesn't like that. Um, there's a big kind of action fleeing scene with Yupa, Ketcha, and the their little chocobo egg and the Valley Boys. They're all kind of... Uh, there's not a whole lot really revealed here other than the fact that the... We know that this miasma is coming. We know that the Daikai show is coming. The Tormekians are kind of in a bad place, but they're still not... They are not... Uh, war has made them bad. And so they're abusing... They have these slaves that are Dorok. So it's just a little bit, I think, of like world building in this scene right here. It is world building, and it's a scene to kind of show later on when Kushana joins the, the Valley Boys in Yupa. It, it's to justify Ketcha and... Asbel, Asbel's, yeah, Asbel's reactions and anger, like uh, yeah, it, it, just it, a reminder it, to the audience. I think yes, you're definitely right. I think this is a reminder because the last time that we heard about sort of Ketcha, Asbel, Pejite, their city, and Kushana was, I think, in part one. Which, it, if mm -hmm. we're going by how long it's been writing this, it's been like eight years since that part came out or something. So yeah, I, I think you're right. I think this is a reminder of of that to contextualize what happens in a couple of chapters. So. Um, we skip ahead again and we see, uh, Ketcha talking with some of the rebelling Doroks. Um, uh, she's kind of like, I'm on your side. Be good. Uh, the group, then this sort of group of Ketcha and the Valley Boys and Asbel, they fly up and they see some sea of corruption f sprouting from the dead bodies of the flying insects, which we saw in part three and four that attacked, uh, that, that are pushing the Toromekians back. So... Um, on the ground, they sort of, fl oh yeah, that's right. So they, they fly up, they see the sea of corruption sprouting. They fly over one of these overtaken cities that we saw at the end, I believe of part four. Um, and we see kind of out of this overtaken city come Kushana and Kurotawa. And Kushana is sort of giving Kurotawa through a, this, I don't know if it's a makeshift mask, but sort of a, a jerry-rigged mask so that he can drink out of it. Um, and they're all just sort of trapped still stuck in their masks. It's mentioned that it's hard to drink water when you have your mask on. So that kind of puts a, a time limit on them unless you have a really fancy mask like Kushana does. Um, they hear the Valley boys and that group flying overhead. Kushana and her men fire off signal flares. Uh, and oops, the Tormekian Corvette is right behind them. So uh, the Valley boys have a little short little dogfight with the Corvette. Uh, they win that dogfight. The Corvette retreats. They land they meet up with Kushana, and we're starting again. I think I, I think I mentioned this slightly in the last part, also. But we're starting to. We kind of had a story that spread out and split people up, and we're slowly in this part. We're starting to bring people together. We're starting to bring um, Kushana and the Valley Boys and Asbel and Yupa and all these people. They're now all kind of one group, and we're getting a little bit of splitting off. But we're it's more of pairing back on lead characters at that point but again things are starting to come together so 
Uh, I think definitely in part six and seven, we're definitely going to see sort of less and less separate storylines because we've got, I guess, three or four different storylines going on right now. I think we're going to we're going to be paring that down. And uh, the the only reason that they're not murdering the fuck out of each other is because of their uh, connection to Nausicaa, mm-hmm. uh, which <laughs> which is kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah. everyone really wants each other's blood. Like, uh, Kushana says we can't attack them because, uh, they're Nausicaa's allies, and, um, uh, Asbel and Ketcha absolutely want to kill Kushana, but they also yeah. hold, like, kind of hold their temper in. Yeah, well, I mean, and that's, that's the next thing that we see happen, right, is Asbel, like, literally pulls a sword out and runs at Kushana, and he's like, I'm gonna fucking kill you. Um, yeah. Yupa, this is like, I'm trying to think of how many times Yupa, like, it's like once every section, Yupa, like, stops somebody and is like, no, 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 we are not fighting. Because he, he did it in part one with, uh, what is it, he did it in part one with Nausicaa, I think he did it in part two with Asbel again, and they ran away, or maybe part three. He's doing it again here in part five, stopping Asbel. Um, yeah, just I, I think really... it helps that he is just a good dude, but is also the strongest fighter in the world, in that world. Yes. So, like, he's he's a nice guy that people want on their side, but also he can fuck them up if if any of them actually try something. Yes, it's a very interesting take. I really like Yupa. I think when we get to the end, we'll have a little... We'll definitely have a little talk about Yupa and his place in this, but he's a very interesting take on the sort of Gandalf-type character, where he is... He is older, he is sage-like, he is more knowledgeable, he is generally seen to be universally correct in all of his decision-making. He is very strong when he needs to be, but he is generally against kind of fighting. So yeah, he's, uh, Yupa serves a very interesting point, and it is almost always one of sort of like making peace, not fighting, but he's also the best fighter, so yeah. Right. Um, this is where, I don't I don't remember if we knew this, I think we did. Asbel points out again that like, hey, Kushan is the one who literally like massacred genocided her entire the entire town you know city state yeah. of pejite so men women children all that yeah, yeah everybody except essentially except for asbel and uh yeah ketchup no ketchup is not from there just asbel and his sister who died later so asbel might be the only survivor there uh ketchup's from the dorox i was confused so right so next thing we've got the valley boys and kushana like i said they link up they take her up in the ship um, Kushana recalls what happened to her at the end of the bug attack, which this is a cool part because, um, because her brother died, she was sort of calmed, which made the bugs not see her as a threat, uh, which she remembers, I think Nausicaa telling her, it's like, if you cast aside your hatred and fear, the bugs will not attack. So because she was sort of at peace with her brother dying there and that kind of, uh, wiped out her negative emotions, she was kind of left... I don't, not necessarily feeling list, but definitely a little robbed of of hatred and fear because her hatred and her fear was for her brother. So the bugs didn't attack her. She's saying she sort of calmed her men, the few who, who had survived. Um, Kushana mentions, as she's talking about this, that the Tormekians need a new king. This is, uh, we talked about this in the last part. I think I asked, do you think Kushana is going to be the replacement? I think here she says it in so many words. Uh, that essentially she's like, Tormekia needs a new leader. Wink, wink, it's me. Right. I, I am the only reasonable one here, she says, uh, in front yeah. of the, the war victims. You know? <laughs> yeah, and the, the next little note I have here is Asbel and Ketcha are like, SDF you, you bitch. You killed so many people. We hate you. 
Um, yeah, and then Kushana was like, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Like, you got me. <laughs> yeah, I, Kushana is still, I think, my favorite character in this. Um, oh, she's great. She's great, yeah. Yeah. So next we cut to Nausicaa with the white mold, um, and we see the Doroks... I wrote the word bombing the mold. I don't know what that's supposed to read as. Bombing. Bombing. Yes, autocorrect is right. Yes, the Doroks are bombing the mold, uh, which she is like, that's not going to work, obviously. She, I think, notes that she can feel the pain or the confusion and fear from the mold here. Um, anyway, she returns uh, with Chikaku, the little psychic boy, and and the, the priest, uh, Charka, and tells the survivors to like go find high ground. This is going to be bad. You need to run away. Uh, and she's been doing this. We'll learn by the end of the chapter. She's been telling a lot of people to like, Get the fuck out of here. Um, she notes that there are four of these molds and they're all going to converge in a single place. Again, this is uh, this is a literal version of what I was talking about with uh, bringing all the parts together to have your sort of story climax occur in a single thing. Literally four molds coming together. Um, Nasca talks about her experience with the small molds of the forest, which she would gather up uh, and separate, and when she released them, they would uh, create a ball and burst, sending their spores. That's kind of how they how they propagate. Um, she Nasca also discusses uh, the voice of the mold, which she hears, of course, uh, which she says is terrible, and the creature is wretched, and it only knows hatred and fear, which is pretty n- aggressively negative words from Nasca, I would say. Right. Uh, and she said, she also says in her experimentation with the forest mold, uh, that once the mold stopped aggressively, like attacking it, like itself and everything around it, it kind of worked in unity with the rest of like her experimental little biome. Um, so the plants, the insects and the mold kind of all worked in unity after, after a given time. Uh, effectively implying that even though the mold is like man-made that uh the nature harmonizes eventually yeah for sure this is i think this is definitely foreshadowing one for sort of what we expect out of the mold in the story but also i think you're hitting on the resolution of the story probably here right is that right you know by the end of this part the mold and the daikaisho and the omu are all together and it seems like they're sort of gonna war but i think that i think what this is showing us is that there's a balance will be reached so um yeah exactly yeah nausicaa then has this interesting sort of dream encounter with a big skeleton man who looks very scary he (laughs) says he says i am the elder uh and he preaches some dark shit some kind of end of the world give up every all the humans should die uh be consumed by fire and born anew in the world he says stuff like that and, um, and he says it's like oh it's peaceful here uh like uh, it's fine if everyone dies it's very peaceful peace in hell now. where everyone is dead where i am yes uh, it, yeah he's like the avatar of nothingness so i guess like avatar of the void uh but he he he's like that boss in dark souls 3 that giant skeleton man yeah i literally I that. a couple Couple notes down here. I have Nasca. She sort of sees a light when oh, doing you this, both, yeah. and he says, "Dry eyes." It drives away High Lord Wolnir, who's the oh who's the God. Dark Souls three yeah. boss. And that's so funny. <laughs> uh, like an Omu appears in her dream. Yeah, I think I call him that again later when he shows up the next time. But yeah, this guy is just very sort of like big skeleton in a dark room. So if you've ever played Dark Souls three, that's High Lord Wolnir. Um, <laughs> so when she encounters the 
uh, Omu in her dream. She tells the Omu not to come. She's still trying to save sort of these big creatures that she's in love with. Um, she's woken up on this, on uh, the ship kind of finds more refugees outside. So this is a big refugee situation going on. Um, there's people up on the hill. They see Nausicaa and they start to like worship her. These are Doroks. Um, and the old priest guy Charuka is like, hey, 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 stop that. Like, you, you're not worshiping her. We have our own religion. Like, I'm, and I am a member of it. You can't do that. Um, yeah, it's like, don't, don't do this outwardly. I won't narc. Just get in the ship and uh, keep this on the hush-hush. Yeah. Yeah, they're very much like Nausicaa. Um, Chikaku, the little psychic boys, uh, there's a little encounter here where... I think Charuka calls like Nausicaa a preacher or the the people or something. Um, and Shikaku says Nausicaa isn't a preacher; she's the apostle, which I think is a cool, I just like a cool little thing. Um, I don't yeah. know. There's a I put this as one of my favorite plot points. One of my favorite plot points is when a story is told, and the main character of the story is not actually the protagonist. Um, the, and the best example I can give you this is actually from, is actually just from from the Bible. If you're familiar with it, uh, before Jesus shows up, right? There's a guy called John the Baptist, and everyone thinks John the Baptist is like the savior. They're like he's been baptizing people, and he says no, no. He says like I'm not the guy. The guy's coming. I'm not him. And they're like no, you are the guy. You are the guy. I think I think it's a cool story to sort of tell tell the story from a point of view of someone who is your main character, but is not actually the sort of hero that was promised as you might think. Um, a couple so of do you movies. think the hero is, uh, do you think the Jesus figure is the God warrior or the Omu? Like, so, so that I don't know where this is going. I, this, this might not actually line up with the way that Nausicaa goes. Cause I think Nausicaa is more likely Jesus in this situation, but, um, there's you, yeah, I don't want to spoil any movies because it's kind of a big plot point in a couple of them, but like the, the new Blade Runner kind of hits on this where it's like, you are the main character, but you are not the hero, etc. I just think it's a really cool thing. So we'll see. I I am guessing you made that- a good point that I didn't think about, though. I, I think there is a chance that Na- Nausicaa is highly competent and influences everything in this story, sure. But the verbiage that she's an apostle means that there is something of greater influence uh, yes. that he is kind of uh, in front of, right? Right. And I don't know if that is the uh, the Daikai show or if that's the God Warrior with God literally in the name. Well, I think or it's something something else. I, have no I don't idea. think it's either of those. If I had to guess, I would say that just from what I've seen from Miyazaki and what I've read so far, I think what it's going to end up being is that. Nausicaa is a human and she's the apostle, but the real sort of God savior figure is nature, right? The sort of rebirth mm-hmm. and power of nature in general. That's the, that's the God that people are looking for. Because I think that Miyazaki in everything that I've seen from him very much reveres nature as a sort of godlike power. And that's, I mean, if you've seen, that's a good point. I think you're right. Yeah. Th- that would be my guess, but it could go either way. Nausicaa could literally like ascend. She could go super Saiyan at the end. Who knows? Uh, I, yeah. I'm not, I think the story could definitely still work if that happens. So, uh, so let's see. Nausicaa flies, uh, into the spores, sees a bunch of bugs in the miasma. She follows them down and finds the sort of singular scout Omu, who I think she encountered in part one or two, uh, the Scout Omu looks dead. She lands on it. Um, but it isn't dead. Of course not. 
but it's already sort of sprouting and growing stuff. So the Omu, uh, visually, if you're listening to us and you have not read uh, Nausicaa, first of all, please go check it out. Its art is is, is beautiful. Um, the Omu are sort of constantly covered in this growth, this miasma, that it, this sort of small sprouting plants, kind of mold fungus type stuff. Um, this Omu, who is like like sprouting like a have you ever seen a dead log that has growth on it of like mushrooms and all like that he's kind of sprouting like that which is which is really cool um she wants this scout omu that's still alive she she talks to it telepathically she says tell the omu to go back to the forest like you're gonna get here the mold's gonna take you out it's gonna be awful don't do it uh but the omu dies just like nope sorry that uh it dies and just sprouts even more uh she realizes, I think, or the story tells us that, that this dying omu is meant as a seedbed for these spore forests to grow. Uh, play the Circle of Life song, right? Uh, this is very, very sort of, very sort of Circle of Life in that the omu carry this life with them. They die, they provide, you know, the, the dying of one creature, like I mentioned with the tree, provides a home for other creatures. So, big Circle of Life vibes. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, yep. And... Oh, no, 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 never mind. This is later on. Go ahead. Okay, cool. Uh, Nausicaa goes into this dream world again, uh, begs the Omu not to die. She finds some regular mold from the forest asking for help, which is interesting. Um, this is, uh, shit gets a little weird here. She, in the past, here we see that she had taken mold, which made it scared, and then when she released it, it went and fought the other mold, where it lost, and then that mold that she had sort of taken and separated was now aggressive because it was attacked. I don't know if I totally get what this part was going for. Um, oh, I so I, I this is what I was mentioning earlier. I guess I got the part like where it was in the story confused. But yeah, um, yeah. Oh, sorry, my cat just knocked something over. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I I think this is this is effectively uh, she was saying because she separated the mold from the rest of nature. Uh, it, it is like some like nature is all like one giant circle of life thing. It's it's they right. it, everything relies on everything else. So uh, when separated, the mold it felt like a part of itself was missing. Felt isolated, mm -hmm. uh, kind of like humans do. Um, yeah, yeah. For and sure. started attacking everything around it. And when reintroduced to uh, Nausicaa's biome of nature it started stable, like everything started stabilizing and becoming one with each other again. Right, right. I think the other so part we're supposed to get yeah. out of this, I think the other part we're supposed to get out of this is that the, the, the big bad mold, I think she it's telling us it's also sort of this afraid and aggressive. Um, but yeah, like you were saying, my next note here says, Nausicaa realizes that the mold is, is a sort of a family member to the Omu. It's all part of nature. It's all sort of involved in a great big family, so to speak. Um, and I think it's like more so that it is the Omu, right? The Omu is the forest. It, like right, in, yeah. in the Omu's mind, it, it, it's not considered, it doesn't consider itself a separate being. The forest, the insects, everything in it, uh, it's just one thing. Yeah, so, absolutely. It's yeah. very, yeah, it's very hive mind, circle of life. We're all connected, connections in yeah. nature yeah it's it's stuff you have seen before in other art for sure but this is a this is a really cool interesting version of it um so uh she notes that she thinks when we saw the bugs i think at the end of last part trying to eat the omu they're trying to eat she says the suffering of the mold um but since they couldn't eat it 
that didn't work, right? They were trying to just consume it to sort of take it into their body, reintroduce it, make it a part of the circle again. Um, since they couldn't do it, what they're now going to do is they're going to make a forest bed to welcome the mold when it arrives. This is the uh, what the Omu are on its way to meet this scout Omu and do. Um, she realizes that where she is right now is where the, where the Master Scout Omu died is the place where the four molds are going to converge. So... Um, and uh, when she she sees, I, I think when someone else, I think Yupa sees the Omu, he mentions that their eyes are not red; they aren't mm. angry, even though it's uh, uh, what is a storm like the storm called uh, Daikaisho. Even though the Daikaisho yeah. is going on, and they're effectively ending the world for humans, uh, they are not angry. They're not doing this out of spider vengeance. They are just restabilizing nature. Yeah, this is brought up. Yeah, this is brought up a couple times. Where we'll bring it up, I think, more when we see the Omu again and their eyes, because yeah. we haven't we haven't met the wave yet, but we we meet them pretty soon. Um, yeah. So let's see. Nausicaa flies up to a location to say, and she just kind of finds high ground, decides to wait for the Omu to come to her. Um, she asks in a very meta way, "Is this the end of my journey?" And she says. Uh, the world is so beautiful. The world shines so. So why? And then we jump to the next scene, which I think is great. I think all Nasca's scenes in this one are very... Uh, she's been very connected in the past parts of sort of Nasca in the middle of other people doing things involved with people. And in this one, she's kind of disconnected, even though she is around some refugees for a while. But she feels very kind of... It feels like on the hero's journey, this is the sort of self-discovery part where Nausicaa goes out on her own to discover things instead of relying on a team or a group to teach her things. She needs to kind of go out and figure stuff out on her own. I think that's what this part is for, for Nausicaa. Agreed. And I, I I have a point on Nausicaa's disposition that we'll bring up later because it's, I think it's really interesting for a, a protagonist, especially like kind of a Jesus figure like her, to have this kind of mindset. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'll uh, we'll go on for now. Sure. So we cut to Kushana, Yupa, and the Valley Boys. They're exploring what remains of uh, Sapata City, and they find a dead Hydra, which we sort of met in that first part. Um, looks like a big cactus dude. No uh, mentioned. I don't know how else to describe it. It details might be a little lost, just in the sort of old black and white manga style. But to me, it looks like literally like a big, big fat cactus. Bachoke dude. Like, so. Yeah, like a, a, a turd mixed with a cactus with a with a little smiley face on his face, you know, like, yeah, like a giant yeah, eyeball exactly. to make him look like he has a face. <laughs> yeah, um, but they, they stumble across one which is supposedly dead. Uh, Yupa tells us that the Hydra are man-made soldiers who accompany the Divine Emperor when he conquered the Doric lands. So, another, another interesting reveal that these are man-made soldiers. So these are probably sort of... Um, like test subjects maybe for regrow the, or maybe it's like the same like a world building thing where it's like the same process that they're using to sort of regrow the emperor they're also using to kind of grow super soldiers in a way right which also reflects on the way that the god warriors are grown i think it all kind of flows down from that technology or that yeah you know, part of the world so i i think you're right it, and it had like a rib cage so it's like part of it seems humanoid in a way yeah i don't know i kind of yeah it, it'll be interesting to see if we get more kind of body horror with the uh i mean do get a little bit in just a couple pages here but uh 
if we get more horror stuff from the the hedra they're very interesting they're very scary it's a nice kind of small take on the large stuff right uh so yupa takes mito one of the valley guys guns and he's like uh, i'm double taps the hedra in the head because he's like nope that's probably not dead he like rips its (laughs) face mask off and they note that the mask has like spikes on the inside of it so it's like connected to its head again more like horror imagery here um but the hedra then sort of like the one that they thought was dead kind of flips out when he gets shot in the head and actually dies. Um, uh, Yupa says, you have to destroy the core or they'll come back to life. Uh, I put parentheses, possible this is something to do with plant mold life mixing with human life because plants and molds both kind of have a have that kind of, you can't fully kill a mold if one cell is left, it can replicate and re- be reborn. So maybe oh, something point. like yeah. that's going on here. Uh, I wonder if that's the situation with the God Warriors too. Yeah, I, I, I'm very curious. I, I'm hoping, I'm sure by the end of the series we'll know a little bit more about the God Warriors and what what they are. Because I'm not sure if if them and the Hydra and all this regrowth stuff is going to be kind of man's technological folly. So they're, you know, ignoring nature and making a man-made thing, which makes it kind of pure evil from the viewpoint of the story. Or if there is going to be some kind of nature regrowth version of it where... The God Warriors are based on you know, a mold or a spore or something like that. And so it all kind of connects together and it makes, you know, the God Warriors part of the nature. And that's all. I don't know which way it's going to go here. So, but I'm, I, I'm I don't know either, that. but I will say that the mold is man-made and it it was like accepted uh, right. by, by nature itself. So I, I could see the same thing being said of the god warrior maybe and the hedra and stuff yeah i think i think we'll get a i think we'll get some kind of resolution to all that i would hope so yeah effectively um, they're creations slash victims of humanity so who who knows yeah probably they'll they'll i don't know they'll have good endings i don't know yeah we'll have to see uh so the the group here after they after they double tap the the hedra they find a dying man who's in here who says his people fled uh, and then they, while they were running away, they came across a girl with a white kite. This is Nausicaa, who told them to flee because miasma that even masks that miasma that masks won't are. How did I write this? Masks will be useless against a new miasma that is coming. Is essentially what she says, uh, which is very scary. So they are running away. Um, yeah, right here, we get sort of a action scene, which is pretty cool. Uh, three ho- hedra show up, uh, and they start chasing and sort of attacking this group. Um, Yupa's ready, and his bird uh, feels something, I think, on the ship. I think there's, again, I think there's some sort of emotional connection between birds and their people, the chocobos here. Um, his bird on the ship struggles and runs off to be with him. Um, but these three Hedra chase around the people. Uh, we get a shot outside of the ships, kind of where people are waiting as the other group explores inside. And they look up, and it's, here come the bugs. Which I wrote to the the tune of "Here comes the sun." Do do do. An emergency flare goes up. They got to get out of here. Uh, oh shit! It's the climax action scene. Uh, these three Hedra chase the group inside the building. Uh, Kushana seems adamant here to fucking die. She like tries to sacrifice herself like three times. She's like, "I will keep them all." And then Yupa has to like drag her away and be like, "You are not dying. Please come with me. Please stop doing this." Um, yeah, quit being so suicidal. Yeah, she's like, I mean. I get it, right? But at the yeah. same time, yeah. Uh, at a certain point, Yupa notes that the uh, these three Hedra were after Kushana the whole time. They were like uh, focusing on her. The others, the others mostly get away. Um, 
Yupa says, hey, whoever's in control of these, it doesn't really explain how he knows about about the Hydra and how they work. Um, my guess is Yupa might just be experience. I think it's just some kind of experience, but yeah. Um, I think he, he's like a legendary swordsman. I think he's just seen this shit before. Yeah, I'll be interested to know if it explains that or if he's just kind of unexplained. Um, he kind of starts running to try to track down who's controlling these people. Um, the group all gets above ground, makes a break for the ship. Uh, their gunship blasts one of the Hydra and totally wipes out his bottom half. Uh, that was hardcore. Yeah, this is like a, more of this like body horror stuff with the Hydra, right? It like cuts him in half and he does not die. And his top half is like trying to take this ship down. It's kind of freaky. Um the Hedra bring the ships down. They do not let them take off. Um, and then the Hedra kind of turn and run. And why? Zoom out the camera. The Omu is here. The Daikai show is here. It's much scarier. And whoever's controlling them is also ready to skedaddle. So uh, this yeah, is where the I think... all get on, get, on, get on a different ship uh, it, that takes off at the site of the Omu. Yeah, yeah. So I, I admit this might not be the first time, but this is the time where it's noted again that the the Omu are here. Their eyes are not red, so they are not their attack color. They're blue, um, which is interesting here because the Omu don't just barrel over the uh, the Valley Boys and their ship. They sort of let them take off in the middle of them. Which again, Omu not angry, very peaceful, going to do their job. Basically, just going to die. Um, Yupa follows the Hydra. Jumps onto a ship, literally does the um, Tom Cruise, uh, which, one of the Mission Impossibles where he hangs off the side of a plane. He, like, literally does that. He, like, jumps on the side oh, of a plane, right. puts his sword into it, rides into the sky, and, like, jumps onto it. Um, turns out this is the Emperor's ship. Uh, so, Yupa gets on. The Emperor isn't immediately aggressive towards him. He has that kind of cool confidence we talked about. Um the emperor is yeah, kind the of emperor's like, instantly like, well, he's standing on top of the ship and he's mm-hmm. like, hey, why don't you come join me? This is a once in a 300 year kind of site. And uh, yeah, him and Yupa just like chat. Yeah, they chat out. Uh, the emperor notes that it's very surprising for someone to know about the weak points of the Hydra in today's age. Um, again, this is sort of the, I wonder, I don't know. I, I don't want to theorize too far, but part of me is like, oh, Yupa's. Yupa has also been reborn, and he is the emperor's brother. I don't think that's true, but it's one of those. Like, I think maybe. he's just old. I think, I think he, he's just. just I think he's just old, and just. I think he just knows things because the story needs him to. I don't think it needs to be explained. But uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think you're right. Uh, the emperor tells Yupa. He says that that woman Kushana is going to be my wife, and that's why I captured her. Uh, so we we cut away, and we see Nausicaa up on this hill again. She's passed out, and the forest people, which previously had been with uh yupa in that group those same force people uh, they come across her they put her in one of their bubbles they fix her mask they kind of help her out um they note i think the girl who helps nausicaa out notes that she wishes that nausicaa could meet her brother who we noted was kind of the de facto leader of this forest group um it's a really short interesting scene kind of just setting up for nausicaa being able to make it to the next part uh back on the ship uh the helmet that the emperor is wearing has a bunch of eyes on it and yupa's like oh i heard he has eyes in the back of his head no this dude has literally a helmet with like real eyes feeding him information so i think this is again just one of those weird um mobius design style things but it's really cool i think i think it also uh confirms or feeds into i think that he's got some kind of psychic power because i think he connects with those eyes it's just another another little uh hint towards it yupa said like the, it, like it follow the eyes follow him, so it's not just a helmet design. 
So yeah. it's like connected to his brain in some way. Yeah, for sure. Um, Yupa then notes, looking at this sort of Omo Daikaisha wave, that the miasmic's color is wrong. Uh, and the emperor now says, it's a sad state of affairs since his brother created the mold, which the Omu are now fighting, and no matter who wins, he and his people die. Um, he doesn't seem super sad about it, but he definitely seems sort of like, well, again, he kind of has that cool confidence. Um, he's like, gotta deal with it. I gotta go to war. It's what I have to do now. Uh, well, he's he's a warmonger by nature. For sure. Because, like, yeah, like, uh, when he was at the beginning of this chapter, he's just like, let's, let's go uh, cause some chaos and, read some, like, spill some blood. Um, so I don't think he's sad at all. I think he's, like, completely okay with his whole nation being destroyed. Uh, because he's just gonna go attack, uh, the Toromechians and take theirs. Yeah, he definitely seems very... Not necessarily that he's happy, he's just sort of like, well, the decision's been made for me, and this is what I was gonna do anyway, so, cool, let's do it. I truly don't think he cares. Um, Yeah, he's not super concerned. One thing I, I noticed is Yupa mentioned that, uh, that the Holy Emperor, him, um... Uh, conquered the Dorok nation uh, yes. a while back. So, so that's not even his original nation. It's just some a uh, nation he took. Yeah, I didn't even think about that, but you're right. That the yeah, the Emperor and his brother are ostensibly not Dorokian Doroks, right? They conquered the Doroks and they're their leader, but they are not from the same blood, you would say. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't even think about that, but you're right, absolutely, yeah. And they they implemented their own religion in into that mm-hmm. society as well. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's really interesting stuff. Is this a comment from Miyazaki on the Americans post World War II? Find out later. Um, Most definitely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyways, but yeah, Yupa I think points out like, you know, hey, you could save tons of people. It's a huge ship, and the emperor's like, nope, we're not going to be a refugee ship. It's not what we're doing here. Um, this weird little scene happens where a like slave or servant like brings a drink to the emperor and the emperor's like no you try it first and the guy drinks it and like coughs up blood and dies and it's like interesting okay a little thing to let oh, you know that clearly the Dorox... the emperor actually drinks it and then he's like you drink it oh does uh, he really i missed that okay yeah so uh it, it was I, I thought that scene was great it was a it weird was goofy uh, little yeah. yeah yeah it's like i was like what the fuck uh yeah it was it was a fun little scene it happened in, like two panels um, Kushana wakes up and gets again to have a scene to be my favorite character. She like, she kicks the ass of all these guys guarding her. She literally pulls out her like double-sided hairpin and like shanks a guy with it. Like, like it's this two, like this two claw-sided fist weapon. Um, yeah. then I'm pretty sure she like, I don't know if she cuts a guy's head off, but she like drags a dude's head to the open door to like doom 2016 style, like put his uh, head up to the like eye scanner <laughs> and open the door. She listens like. Badass. I, I swear our, our brain works the same way. I, I could not think of anything but rip and tear during those yeah. Shoshana scenes where she's fighting her way out. Oh, it's so uh, like, because yeah. you do that in Doom 2016 like three or four times where you like, you either yeah. rip a guy's head off or grab a, like, a corpse and put its head in the little eye scanner or its hand on the little pad. And she like literally does it. She like grabs the dude's helmeted head, like holds it up to the door, the door opens. So, uh, we learn uh kushana kind of comes out and confronts the emperor the imp- we learned that the emperor is named namulith uh kushana knows him they are familiar uh he calls her the viper's daughter um they see uh kushana's men below in the miasma namulith essentially says i like the reason i'm here with the ship and you are here is i want those men i need a i need a 
I need war. I need a war party, right? I need men who can fight. So I need your trained men. Um, and the condition is we're going to get married. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> and it, then, it, it, it is. Uh, he's very much just a warmonger who, who wants her help conquering the Tormekians. Yeah. He has, he, his interest in her is not, he's not really a womanizer. He, he just says, I need, like, I literally need your, like, I need your battalions. So we're going to get married. Um, and then Kushana has another, I, I just, I fucking love Kushana. Um, she has this line that she says to him where she's like, do you think, uh, she's like asking him, I think to like take off his helmet to show, show her his face. And she's like, do you think you can step naked into the Viper's nest? Which is great. Cause he just called her the Viper's daughter. Um, it's, right. it, it's cool that she just like owns up to it. Right. That he, you would think, Oh, the Viper's daughter, like, Ooh, that's an insult. That means she's like sneaky and backstabbing. And she literally is just like, yeah, I'm a Viper. You think you can like step up to me? Uh, very cool. And this is also like um, a scene that happened earlier in this segment is uh, Krishana mentions that to Yupa that she only survived all of this because she took Nausicaa's advice and mm. released all of her anger and hatred. But uh, she has she's had so much anger and hatred and she's lived for warfare that she can't she decided, hey, I can't be like her. Yeah, I'm not going to fo follow her path because I, I literally don't have the right. So I think this is her embracing who she is as a person. Yeah, for sure. And it's not, it, it's strange. The story doesn't, I don't know. It doesn't really play this as like, I don't want to say it doesn't play it as important to me. This is played off as like, oh yes, the humans are going to play their games. It doesn't feel nearly as important as everything else that's going on. The stuff that's about to happen, right? With, with the, with the Daikai show and all that, but uh, and I think that's the point, right? I do think that's uh, the point. and and the emperor even says it's like, hey, we're just uh, we're just picking at each other at the end of the world. Um, yeah, they're, they're yeah, exactly. They're so I I don't think like what they're talking about is important at all in the grand scheme of things. It's kind of just showing human nature where they'll still have their petty little squabbles and uh, fuck each other uh, fuck each other over when mm -hmm. the world is literally ending right in front of them. Um, For sure, uh, yeah. Namalith says to her, let's build our Gotterdammerung, which is a German word, which literally translated means Twilight of the Gods. Um, so that that sounds a little bit more end of the worldy. So we'll see. We'll see how that Gotterdammerung goes. Um, yeah. The Doroks then come and tell Yupa. Uh, uh, Yupa, I think, is separated at this point from uh, Namalith and Kishana. And they're, you know, like, oh, our emperor's great. He can do anything. He's got a god warrior. Um, and Yupa's like, what? He has a god warrior? Uh, I can't help feeling like god warrior is not a great translation of whatever the Japanese is here. I don't know. It doesn't, it, it feels a little clumsy to me when there's cool stuff like Daikai Show and God or Damarang in here. And then they're just like, oh yeah, god warrior. Um, I think, I think kind of makes sense because like at, at the, it, it sounds like a clunky name, but it makes sense within the context because they ended the world in seven days, right? So for sure, I think it's like kind of just a war, a organic warrior that has the power of a god that just en ends things. Um, I'm gonna but, see. Uh, yeah, so I, mean, I don't know what the official or like, yeah, the their official title is uh, Kyoshinhei, and Shin is like new. Hold on, I'm gonna use this cool Google Translate thing that I got because I can literally hold this up. And it'll tell me what it thinks this means. Okay, just translated it into EE. -E. It thinks that it's just EE. -E. 
Um, oh, okay. Yeah, so the, I'm, I'm oh, glad guess, they're called God Warriors, I guess. Kyo, yeah, so Kyoshin, Kyoshinhei is directly translated Giant God Warrior. So I guess God Warrior, they just took out the giant. Uh, got but it. yeah, anyways, I, I don't know. I feel like there should be a better, like, I don't know. It, just, it, it feels more clunky a translation than putting in, like, God or Damarang or Daikaisho. Those both kind of work for me. Um Anyways. I think it, it, those work because we we don't know what those like mean in English. Uh, well, I, it's, I also, like it's also it's also one of those English things where are always a little. Yeah, well, and it's always one of those things where I can go, okay, Daikai Show. I can look up what that means, or they tell me that that means you know, great, uh, great wave or great, well, you know, whatever. And it's like, oh, okay, I now sort of have context and a cool word to go with it, which I think triggers my like fantasy sci-fi loving brain a little bit more than like a direct translation where it's like god warrior it's like oh okay that's like kind of more direct like if they had called them uh if they have called them the uh kyoshinhei i would have been like oh they have a kyoshinhei and i know that means god warrior and to me that means that i have both a cool word and a context for what it means whereas when i just have god warrior it's like okay it's telling me what it is every time right like i i, I think there's a line because i i think yeah. god warrior is fine because uh it's I, not as bad as some things but yeah like overly tr- like overly like keeping things like it's like calling uh the warlords the shibokai in one piece right um i had it, a lot of trouble with that reading one piece because i kept the translations of those uh old chapters were all over the place so it would be like oh in one translation it's the warlords and their translation it's the shibokai and so it's like wait these are the same things i didn't know but yeah yeah, I, I get why they simplified it because it, it sounds cool, but I think you have to use it sparingly for it to continue to, for mm. certain things to continue to sound good. Sure, absolutely. Um, so next scene, we cut back to the Dorak priest. He's dealing with some crisis of faith from the people, but really they've just found a new god to worship, and he doesn't like that. Um, they sort of want to go home. They're like, "No, we want to go back to our lands." He's like, "You, you cannot do that. You will die." Um, they sort of have this undying faith in Nausicaa, which is, is clearly heresy, uh, and also dangerous. They think she's going to protect them. She might, we don't know. She definitely is not in a position to do it right now, but you never know. Um, the priest thinks that this boy Chikaku is using his, he also has these sort of psychic speaking powers. Um, he thinks, the priest thinks that this psychic boy is like projecting, Oh, Nasuka will come and save you, but he's not. It's definitely implied that he isn't doing that. I don't, but these people clearly are hearing some kind of voice. I don't know where this is coming from. I think it might be the Omu. It might be Nasuka. There might be something else going on here. I'm not sure. Um, it, this one, this part was a little confusing for me yeah. because um, Chikaku stated he used his power the first time, like yes. to get the the refugees on the ship. Uh, or, or sorry, to rescue the refugees. I think he he said, yeah, I use my power uh, to the priest. But the second time, he's like, well, even I'm not that powerful. Yeah, he's like, I, so, I can't talk to four hundred people at the same time. No way, not me. Yeah. So, so I, I don't know. I don't know who did it. I, was it him? Was it someone else? I don't know. Yeah, I think I think maybe this is the Omu warning part of their family, part of their nature to leave. I, I don't know. We'll have to see. Um, yes. Yeah. But at this point, it's coming and it's here. Uh, the Dorks and Nausicaa both. And their little scenes here note that, yep, the Daikai show's coming. It's here. Um, we cut to Nausicaa flying sort of up over the Omu, and we get, I think this is the first two-page spread we've gotten in all of Nausicaa, and it's gorgeous. It's just, it's literally just the Daikai show wave of the Omu and Nausicaa flying above them, and it's wonderful. Um, yeah, that was great. 
I th- I think it's the first two page printing guide. It might be the second. I don't remember, but uh, it's very cool. Um, Nasuka flies up. She finds one of the older Omu, who was one of the ones that told her, "Hey, don't follow us. Run away. We're going here to do stuff." Um, right, the one she met in the swamp, right? Yes, uh, with the sort of older one that was she noted was like, "Oh, this one's right. got all the old growth on it." Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The one who who initially gave her the warning. That makes sense. Yeah, right. Um, Nasuka kind of has her crisis, not really a crisis of faith, but she kind of is, you know, asking like, why do all the Omu have to die because a man made this mold, right? Um, and I, I just r- literally transcribed these quotes for the in the next couple of parts because I think they're so good. Um, she says, I know there's no way to undo any of this. I couldn't do anything, but please don't leave me all alone. Um, I wrote, bro, the humans, Nasuka, they're still around. They still need you. Uh, Nasuka and, is, and yeah. This is the part I mentioned earlier where I think it's very interesting, Nasuka's uh, disposition. Because she she then goes on to state that it's like, I know humans are wretched creatures mm-hmm. are, who, who created this whole mess. Um, it's clear that she values all life, but she values other life more than human life. Right. Well, and, and I, th- I think that's exceedingly interesting because it's like your protagonist cares more about mold life and bug life over like human life. Yeah, she does. Interesting. Right. Well, and I think, and here's what I think the story is doing with that. I think that this story could be told and play out in essentially nearly the exact same way without the Nausicaa character, right? You could have these warring people, you could have this mold, you could have, um, it wouldn't quite work, right? Nausicaa is the catalyst for a lot of change and a lot of realization in people to to change and, and push things along. But Nausicaa, I think, plays the role in this story as she is literally the personification of nature in like, and not, in, not a personification in the sort of, uh, non-literal sense but a literal she is sort of like nature's apostle right exactly right she's literally the herald of nature in this story and so the reason that i think that it shows her more concerned about um more concerned about nature more concerned about the omu and all this stuff is because if she didn't feel that way if she was more concerned about humans and stuff she wouldn't she would not have the same role because there's other people, we clearly see lots of the man-made leaders. Um, we see Kushana caring for her men and wanting to save them. We see the Dorok priests caring about the, the, the those refugees. So we see people caring about other people. We know that that is a story point. That is a thing that humans have in this world. It isn't that no humans care for other humans. We know that. But we need a sort of human to personify nature to show us that humans need to care about nature and nature needs to care about itself and all this stuff. It's, I, I don't think I have all the information to fully, uh, vocalize no, it have, yet. You but have I a think, good point because yeah. if, if Nausicaa prioritized human life more than the lives of bugs or plants, then, uh, the world would have been fucked and the story wouldn't happen. Uh, exactly. she, yeah. she would have shot the Omu that was chasing Yupa at the very beginning of the story. And, uh, None of this would have happened, right? Like, <laughs> right. um, like I, I mean, everything would have happened except without, uh, without a human savior. 
Like, it, all of this would have happened, uh, subtract Nausicaa, because Nausicaa is a Nausicaa in this situation. Yeah. Um, and yeah, this is, so yeah, it would have just been dark. Yeah, and this is maybe sort of the most... Um, it's a it's a more interesting take of the sort of I mentioned Disney princess you know oh loves nature and stuff, but this is a, this is different than that. I don't think I want to use that comparison anymore because usually the sort of Disney princess care for nature character is very much about oh I love humans let's treat the animals and the and the plants in the forests let's make sure they're all equally important, and Nausicaa is not like that. Nausicaa does not say. Why, you know, why do all the people and all the Yomu have to die? She's like, why do all the Yomu have to die? Why are these, these, the nature and the creatures to Nausicaa are so much more important to her than the humans? She does care about the humans, but as we've seen, she's literally willing to go to war. I mean, you mentioned it, right? She was unwilling to shoot a rampaging Omu at the very start. She was not willing to do that, but she is willing to agree to Kushana to literally go to war and kill people to, you know to have her you know, to get her way to get away to help nature so and, very, and to help humans uh like but she's way more willing to take human life than she is any kind of like natural life outside yeah. of humans which makes her um, way more interesting than a disney princess character who's like well humans matter and nature matters let's make sure they matter the same amount nausicaa is like well humans matter but nature matters more to me a lot more and i'm very much more interested in saving nature and preventing the omu from dying and it's tragic to meet the omu are dying She's clearly sad, but she doesn't have a crisis around all the people that died when the Daikaisho came through. But she has a crisis when all these Omu show up and say they're going to die. Like, it's very interesting. I, it's very cool. Yeah, I, I think it's really compelling, too. Um, it, it's like a, a situation, if you if you love nature, but a wolf was attacking you and you had a gun, I think you would still shoot the wolf. Whereas Nausicaa yes. would probably just let would not attack her. Yeah, yeah Nausicaa exactly. would not do that, which is, yeah, which, like you said, is a much more interesting character than most, uh, than most sort of nature-loving characters here. Um, so we get another psychic chat with Creepy Skull Dude. Uh, the Bones Man says, no need to weep for the Omu, they are performing a sacred role. The Omu were created to clean this planet that humans have contaminated, and it's the same thing for the Mold. Um, I kind of believe him here. I don't think he's, I don't think he's kind of spouting bullshit. I think he's a little... I think his point of view on it might be a little wrong, but I do think that he's sort of communicating that like the Omer are doing what they need to do to cleanse the world. And that's okay. Um, I, I don't even think his point of view is wrong. I, I just, um, I just think uh, Nausicaa has knowledge past logic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think the skeleton is kind of correct. You know, like this is all its natural course. You, Humanity did this to itself, and now nature's cleaning up after it yeah. at its own expense. And Nausicaa is kind of just more enlightened than anyone else in this series, including the audience, right? I think if I was in this position, I would say, yeah, oh, this for is sure. all fucked. Yeah. She's very much a, uh, like I mentioned, being sort of the personification of nature. She's very much transhuman i don't subhuman is not the word she's transcended above humanity in in a way yeah in the story exactly. already right she kind of starts there and becomes even more so and i'm guessing by the end of it it's going to be even uh, i think it's going to be even more but uh anyways the the holy one tries to or the the bone man tries to say i am the holy one and she's like lamau no you ain't uh you, you smell bad a holy man did not smell bad um he got very offended yeah for, for this a, is a skeleton- this is that that represents the void 
Um, he got very pissed off at Nausicaa. Yeah, he literally insult. he literally pulls a no you card on her. I like this part a lot because uh, kind of what you're just talking about. Uh, the skeleton guy calls her out and is like, in this like dream world, he's like, look at your hands, and she's like, I, there are blood on my hands, and he's like, look under your feet, and she's like, I am standing on the dead body of men that I have killed, um, and that's like, again, I think that um, High Lord Walnier here is i think he's kind of right in this interaction um he, he's right but he was also petty which i thought yeah, that was like is, kind yeah, of yeah. a uh, i thought that was kind of funny but it's um, also i mean it, it, he kind of calls out exactly what we were talking about the right that nausicaa clearly values nature over humanity in right she he and he's saying is that right you need to think about that and i think that she Maybe we'll have to think about that later. I don't know. We'll have to see. Um, and then he, he spews darkness out of his eyes and mouth. <laughs> I am the holy <laughs> he one. Ah, here's darkness. <laughs> yeah. So and then here's here's some more of that dialogue I was saying that I just copied down exactly. Um, uh, she says, I don't need the nothingness to tell me that we are a cursed people. We're the ugliest of all creatures. We do nothing but harm to the earth, plundering it and polluting it and burning it. The Omu are far more beautiful than we are. What good is it to beg forgiveness now? The Omu have traveled a long, long way, half blinded by the spawn forming over their eyes in order to try to heal the wounds that humans have inflicted. And now that journey is about to end. So yeah, this is just Nausicaa essentially saying all the stuff that we picked up on earlier. She literally says, humans fucking suck. The Omu are better. I like them better. And I'm very sad about them coming here to die. And it sucks that it is our fault. She And she says, I'm going to go die with my friends. Yeah. And I'll, and yeah she says, I'll, cool. go, I'll go with the Omu. Um... It's really interesting, though, that she does still sort of include herself in the group of humans whose fault it is. I think she's, Nausicaa's very mature. She I, does not really shy away over the fact that, yeah, she has killed people and she's kind of, she's kind of part of the problem purely because she was born human and not, you know, as an omu or a part of nature. But yeah, I don't know, it's a, it is a, it is a sort of stress, a, a character stressor inside of her that she is this personification of nature, but personified as a human. This is, I'll go back a little bit to my biblical theory that I had growing up in the church, but part, one of the interesting things about the sort of lore and legend of Jesus Christ, right, is that he is God-made man, which is, I think, a pretty good uh, analog to Nausicaa here, who is sort of nature-made man, right, slash, slash woman, made you know, man in the mankind way. Um, and uh, yeah, her 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 little buddy. Uh, what's what's his name? Kukaku or something? Like yeah, that? Chikaku. Chikaku. Yeah. Uh, when they were talking about Nausicaa being the apostle, uh, like the priest said, well, of course she she's not like an apostle. She her wings that they're talking about aren't growing out of her. Mm-hmm. Like uh, the it's just a glider. And Chikaku's like, well, yeah, she'd be a monster if she <laughs> yeah. had wings growing out of her. She's just a human. Like all yeah. apostles, uh, yeah. So I thought that was that was cool. She's it's like at the end of the day, she is human. Yeah, which is uh, which is very like I said because you could kind of take Nausicaa out of the story and just have nature be sort of its own representation. But it's more interesting to have nature made human and as Nausicaa here as a character in the story than it is to just have nature kind of preach for itself. I guess you could say right. Um, but yeah, so yeah, Nausicaa says, I'll go, I'll go with the Omu, I'll just die with them, fuck that. She's basically just like, fuck it, nothing better to do, I'll just go die, like, fuck humans, I only love the Omu and nature, they're gonna die, I'm gonna die. 
Um, she crashes down. She lands on the Yomu. Uh, she notes again that they are not mad with anger. They are not, they don't have red eyes. They have their cool blue eyes. Um, she notes that the Daikai Show isn't some kind of punishment or revenge for human foolishness in the way that, uh, and kind of in the way that the Skull Dude was telling her that it was. Um, she notes the Omu are simply trying to heal the Earth's wounds by becoming living seed beds for the Sea of Corruption. It's the forest. The Sea of Corruption itself is moving. Um, and she again says, I'll become part of the forest too. That's what she wants. She's personification of nature. She wants to return to nature. Um, Nausicaa finds sort of an island in the center, which is where the, um, where the scout Omu was, uh, and the, the point where the mole will meet. Um, she lands there, kind of starts to be overtaken. She lays on the, uh, lays on the Omu, starts to be overtaken. She can feel the growth starting the roots, starting to take hold. She notes, um, she feels the Omu's under her dying. Uh, she lays down, gets covered in miasma, but, the Omu she's laying on grabs her with his tentacles, puts her in its mouth, swallows her, and gives her a little air bubble. Um, and then slime meets mold. Everything is fucked. Uh, bottom of the bottom here. Uh, we cut to the Dorak ship for, I think, one page. And Chikuku is like, tells the priest, like, okay, I don't feel her. Nausicaa's gone. And that is that is the end of part five. What a what a fucking place to end. Because yeah. I just wanted to flip the page and be and keep <laughs> I know, reading. Right? Yeah. And the thing is it's like in my mind it's like clearly Nasik is it dead, but you know what? At this point I I'd probably give myself like 80 80 20, maybe 90 10 Nasika's not dead because like clearly I think she was saved, but it's like you know what? She could die there and the story could resolve itself with nature sort of cleansing the world and you know the warring tribes and kashana you know does whatever i think it would still be a really good story if that was the end as, for as, l- as long as say the the omu didn't put her in the mouth and she molded over uh that would be a satisfying ending for me but i'm yeah. glad it didn't end there because there's yeah. uh, too much left that i need out of the other characters too yeah uh, for sure but you... either way what, what a fucking uh this is one of my favorite uh, my favorite uh, segments of the book because I feel like it, I said every week it's like event. this yeah, is my new favorite is. section of the book. I know I definitely said that on part three and part four and now in part five, but like especially yeah. thinking about, I think part four might still might be my favorite, but this part I think is a follow up to part four is is just really good. And again, it's like Nausicaa, it's the extinction event. You you yeah. saw the extinction event, yeah. It's the bomb it's the dropping bomb. is is what yeah. we're seeing. It's the it is the lowest of the low. Everything from here should be sort of up, although I don't think it's going to necessarily get happier. I think we're going to probably get a long, drawn-out low here, uh, and that will sort of be our climax, right? We'll be Daikai Show, people going to war. Uh, who knows? I actually, it's it's actually kind of hard for me to predict what happens after this because what do we have? We have Kushana and Namulith. They are going to go get her men. Maybe they're gonna assault the Tormekian capital. That might be my guess. They, there, they have to. Be. Yeah, they they have to. And plus, they have they have the God Warrior with them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, and the speaking God, of yeah. God Warrior, uh, you remember when the God Warrior is being airlifted, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, in part three, I think, I, or four. Yeah. I'm assuming that's the same God Warrior that we see in this segment. I think it, it is. just got moved yes. to uh, yeah. the Dorak capital. Yes, because okay, I think yeah. the Dorak guys say that they have a God warrior and I think it's the same one. I think that's the same one from, from Pajite, right? 
that they like yeah. half grew. I think it's all the same God Warrior. And they describe like both the God Warrior when it was being airlifted and this one as like effectively a baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think it's the same one. I think it's the same one. Yeah, but I mean, I could, I don't know. It's like, this is really good. <laughs> what a great story. I like, I'm yeah. continually, continually, even though we've said it for five parts now, I'm continually impressed of how good, how well written this is, how cool and different and progressive and not stereotypical at all, even though it kind of is preaching. I don't want to say it's like preaching a stereotypical save nature, be good to nature, because it's really not. Like it's its take on humans and nature here, I think is something unique from what I've consumed, right? I'm sure there's other takes on this, but this is not this is not Fern Gully, right? Like Fern Gully is a great example of like men who cut down the forest bad, forest people good, forest fight back, forest win, right? Like that's Fern Gully. This is Nazca of the Valley of the Wind is not Fern Gully. This is several uh several multitudes more nuanced and complex and intense than something like that is especially it's in its message you called it progressive when it was written like 20 plus years ago yeah, in, and in the you're 80s, still absolutely true. right yeah you're still absolutely right it is progressive but it was it was made in the, in the fucking eats too yeah yeah I, and yeah this 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 dives really deep into just the nature of humans in general mm-hmm. uh and I, I really appreciate that. I, and it's not like all humans are fucking evil. It's all humans are inherently selfish. And yeah. uh, and there's shades of gray where they are capable of love, empathy, kindness, and all that. But uh, and it, I also th- and it, it, like it, it shows like all sides of humanity. And I think that's perfect. And I also think that it's it's it it is. I do use the word preaching again, but it is preaching something which I have seen before, but in, I don't want to say, it's probably not the first piece of art. It's one of the first pieces of art that I've ever read that is so good at it, but the sort of humans being a part of nature is, I don't think it's been fully embraced yet, but I think it's where we're going, right? I think right. I think what we're going to see in the next two parts is we have seen sort of humanity and nature on two sides of the story they obviously have intersected kind of with with the mold and we even see with the uh, hedron stuff like that there's clearly this sort of nature and human interaction and we already have an example like in the forest people that it is possible to exist yeah yeah and i think that they're going to be a larger part uh coming up and i think the reason they are introduced is exactly that to show that um because i think as opposed to Again, something like Fern Gully that preaches, you know, people who cut down the forest are bad. The people are bad. The forests are good. If you help the forest, you're good. I think there is more of a more of a message here around. It doesn't matter if you're if you're the man in the machine cutting down the trees of the forest. You are a part of nature too. And I think that's where we're going with Nausicaa, right? I think that mm-hmm. I think what Nausicaa is trying to say, at least what I can sort of glean from it so far is that it doesn't matter if again i think the mold is maybe the biggest uh, point of this right the dorox made this mold to be a sort of biological weapon and nature kind of said doesn't matter uh the omu said doesn't matter doesn't matter that this is a man-made weapon it's a part of nature and so i think that i think what nazca is going for that's that's different than a lot of uh like nature first nature forward um 
messaging is that I think that it is saying it literally doesn't matter if, like I said, if you're the guy, if you're the man with the saw cutting down the tree, you are as much a part of nature as the tree is because you consume nature when you die you are returned to nature you know so on and so forth circle of life type thing i think that's where we're going with the story because i'm seeing I, I don't think it's fully i don't think it's fully giving us that message yet but i see i see it under the sort of pages here of that is it is definitely saying like you were saying all these humans are so nuanced and so interesting and so different and it's but they're all sort of connected in the same way that I think like the mold is like a nuanced character and the Omu are also like kind of a nuanced character. The Omu and the mold are not, the mold is not presented as only terrible. It's only a weapon. It's only bad. It needs to be destroyed. The Omu are not only the Daikaishu, the Daikaisha. They're not only aggressive. They are not only here to wipe out humanity. They have their own needs, their own wants, their own, they're sort of characters in this story. And they're all presented in this sort of, you know, grayscale is sort of in the in the obvious way to state it but um yeah, yeah. And, it, and it seems to me you're, you're right right it's like um i i think the story is saying that all life uh regardless of how it's created and whatnot has the ability to coexist as long as uh, uh people respect the life around them um and not just human life you know uh in placing value only in other humans but uh, living and coexisting uh, with well, it, nature surrounding them, and yeah, regardless even, of where it came from. Yeah, and I even think that I, I think I agree exactly with what you're saying. I think even coexistence is not the right word because I think coexisting implies there is one thing and then there is another thing, and they they are separate and they must live together. And I think it's all Nausicaa, Right, exactly. I think I don't think Nazca is saying there's humans and there's nature and they have to learn to live together, which I think is what a lot of sort of nature first, nature forward, you know, preserve nature messaging is about, right? There's we're the humans, they're the nature, we have to get along and live off each other. I think Nazca is much more saying there's not two things here. There's what there's just nature. There's just the singular yeah. organism of our world and we are all a part of it. And the sooner we start learning that, the more and the more sort of better decisions we will make, the more impactful. I don't know exactly where it's going to resolve, exactly but, right. but yeah. Well, it stated on the pages themselves, right? Um, where with, with, with the bugs uh, dying to accept the mold is uh, the fact is the bugs probably or the Omu probably don't think of themselves as dying for this, you know, like mm -hmm. it, it's just this, the circle of life and humans are, are a part of it that are trying not to be a part of it. Yeah. And I think this is this is really interesting. I went back it kind of recontextualizes um one of those pages of dialogue that Nausicaa says. She says uh when they're in the little darkness with the skull guy, she says, "I don't need the nothingness to tell me that we are a cursed people, we're the ugliest of all creatures. We do nothing but harm the earth, plundering it, polluting it, burning it. The Omu are far more beautiful than we are. What good is it to beg forgiveness now? The Omu have traveled a long, long way." half blinded by the spawn forming over their eyes in order to try to heal the wounds that humans have inflicted. And now that journey is about to end. I think it's, it's interesting to recontextualize that now that we've thought and spoke about Nausicaa and this sort of nature and humans coexisting, because I think this might, here's, here's my prediction. I think Nausicaa is actually too extreme. I think her, I think, I think her, she is falling into the same folly that those other stories do, which is to say, 
humans and nature are separate. We have to ex- we are we have to exist together, but we're separate things. I think she's making that distinction here, and I think she's wrong. And I think that her turn and her character mm-hmm. will be realizing what we've been talking about here, right? Realizing that humans aren't a, the, this cursed creature that is separate from nature that fights against it. That is the bad part. The humans are just as much a part of nature as the omu are because i in in that paragraph i don't i don't necessarily think that say that she doesn't know that but she doesn't think about things in that way she is separating humanity from nature and separating and and i don't think that's what the story is going to say so i think that her turn will be i think everyone else's turn is hey stop you know stop being bad to nature that part's kind of more obvious but i think nazca's turn is going to be more from a this is maybe sort of like a anti, like like anti Greenpeace, anti extremist Greenpeace messaging kind of thing, where it's like, hey, don't you know, don't hurt humans to preserve nature because it's all the same, and you need to value it all the same. So I think she's going to come around and have to have to confront her own humanity and other humanities and accept them as part of her nature, which she is the sort of prophet for. I think that'll uh, be her you're, you're probably right here. And I think she has a part of that mindset in her already when she mm-hmm. said she wanted to, she hopes she turns into a tree while she's still alive, which sounds yeah. horrifying, by the way. Uh, <laughs> yes. But putting that aside, um, I, I I think she she says that out of anger because she can't do anything about the situation and the things she loves are dying. But uh, I think this is, she's, I think the manga at the very beginning emphasized how young Nausicaa is. Yes, and, and, and uh, quick to anger and quick to dram- sort of dramatic emotional moments. I think she's still there, and I th- yeah. So she and I think she's she, still, she's still learning, learning a lot as she goes. So mm-hmm. I think uh, I think even though we mentioned how how enlightened she was, I think there's a lot of things that you just can't put together at that age that she's putting together pretty fast now. Yeah, it's a I mean it's a good um, character design to to have her age be related to the growth she goes through is a pretty typical thing. But yeah, I yeah. mean, it's super interesting. And you know what? It might not go that way. This, this might turn out to be a literal humans are the devils and nature is the thing to preserve. It, I could see it going that way. It might, I don't think it is, but I, I, I don't see it happening because it, it, it's, I don't been think too it's nuanced. been set up for that. Yeah. It's, I don't think it's been, been set up for that. Yeah. I, I have faith after reading what I've, I've read so far that it, it won't paint all human, all of humanity as like, Oh wow. These guys just fucking suck. You know? Yeah. Uh, if it does, then it should go a kill all humans ending. Yes. At that point. Um, and let me see, because I wanted to see the publication dates, because this part, let me see, chapters, this I think we're on here. Yeah, so these chapters were published in like 1993, most of them. Um, so we're coming up on, and the next set of chapters were published in 1994, and then I think it's in it's in 94 and 95 where he directs... Um, princess mononoke so when is because i uh mononoke he made oh 97 okay so a couple years after that but um i definitely think yeah it's been a while since i've seen princess mononoke I, i i just i think that miyazaki himself here is exploring i don't think he has it all figured out yet have of what the relationship between man and nature is i think he's exploring it really deeply here um, I think he'll probably come to a conclusion by the end of this, and that I think he will reiterate that conclusion in Princess Mononoke. Uh, and I'm trying to remember, because in Princess Mononoke was a maybe more of a humans very evil, nature very good type story. 
Um, uh, it, well, actually, Iron Iron Town, which is basically uh, Princess Mononoke hates Iron Town because it's yeah. humans cutting down the forest. Learn to coexist with the forest once yes. they understand the forest has its own will. Um, but like the greedy humans, like uh, I, I think it has a big emphasis on human greed, despite yeah, it's, it has a much more capitalist. I think Mononoke yeah. Hime has a much more capitalist capitalist angle than Nausicaa does not really involve capitalism in in any way. It does the, talk about oh, I, I think a little bit. Uh, but... A few themes are humans' uh, greed and lust for power hold yeah. as a consistent theme between the two. Yeah. I, I I like that Mononoke also doesn't paint uh, Iron Town which signifies human progress as evil you know right, um yeah. they, they're all just people trying their best right. but yeah which on, could be on the other side there are humans that are evil so i don't know yeah. this is complex and nuanced though like it feels yeah, like everyone is shades of gray it's a lot i feel like we could keep talking about this forever but we won't uh we won't yeah, yeah, the point. we don't go too long let's call here. it until next time yeah i mean tons of cool stuff any any final final thoughts before we hit the end here on part five of nausicaa daikai show Nah, brother, I'm good. Uh, I just want to read more. Cool. Well, thank you everyone for being here. Let me find my outro, if it exists on one of these pages that I hadn't brought over. Uh, it doesn't, so we'll do it We'll do it live. Um, thank you all for being here. Thank you for listening or watching. Uh, stay tuned next week for part six, and then in two weeks it will be the final part seven. Uh, after we are done with Nausicaa, we're just going to be doing a couple of review videos. By that time, One Piece live action will be out. So that will be a little bit more exciting. So come back and join us for those. Uh, if you want to check us out, don't forget we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash whitegrayblack. Uh, always give us a like or subscribe. We appreciate your thumbs up more than anything. And yeah, thanks again for being here. See you later. Don't forget, read more Nausicaa. Adios.